I have a new friend who's pretty new at the whole Christian thing and she's been attending Gateway for a few months and decided a while ago that she'd like to be baptised. I was really excited about that, as were the friends who had shown her Jesus and brought her along to church to check out the family. Well, we've been doing Alpha Online together with about 15 or so people and I'm really enjoying it. It is so good. Well, Nikki Gumbel is a British pastor who originally developed Alpha and God has used this course to introduce thousands of people from all over the world to Jesus. Last Thursday night, he was inviting the people watching on Zoom to pray a simple prayer if they were ready to invite Jesus into their life. Now, if you're a Christian, you've prayed this prayer or something like it. I've prayed it hundreds of times because I love it and I need it. And he said this, Close your eyes and picture Jesus standing before you. He is knocking at the door of your heart. And if you want to invite him in, you can say something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me so much. I now turn away from all the bad stuff in my life. And if anything comes to mind that you need to ask for forgiveness, ask now. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. I now receive your forgiveness. I put my trust in you and ask you to come into my heart and be with me forever. Now, when he said, if anything comes to mind that you need to ask forgiveness for, ask now. He left a long, awkward pause. A bit like that. What goes on in your head in a moment like that? Hey, uh, we don't have time to list all the ways that I've stuffed up even this week, let alone the rest of my life. I'm a total loser. Actually, I'm a pretty good person compared to a lot of others in my world. I'm not sure what you want me to confess here. Hey God, the bad stuff in my life is not my fault. Someone is always doing the wrong thing by me. Well, for the next seven weeks, we want to focus on the bad stuff in your life. The stuff that Jesus wants us to put behind us. We are going to talk about sin. Whoa, that sounds a bit heavy. Well, the whole theme of this year has been about becoming kingdom-shaped people. Remember that for Jesus to get us from here to here, there's going to have to be some chiseling. And the stuff that he wants to remove from you and leave on the ground is called sin. That's the stuff that gets in the way of you thriving and flourishing and being the powerful kingdom influencer that he has called you to be. This is all about winning and losing in life. This is about godly character. There are virtues you can foster in your life which make you useful to the Father and to others. And there are sins that can just drag you down. Jesus wants you to win in life, to thrive, to grow into his image and to 
do that, we have to deal with sin. Now, it's not very PC to talk about sin in today's world. We use terms like making mistakes, poor choices, falling under bad influences. It's almost like we see ourselves as perfect creatures who have no say in our own behaviour. We're just tossed around by our circumstances and cannot be held accountable for our own choices. But we all feel the effects of sin every day in our families, in our workplaces, in our state. I was watching a story about Roger Ames uh, the other day. He was the CEO of Fox News in America and one of the first high-profile, powerful men to be toppled because of sexually predatory behaviour. Now, one of the men who, wore, who worked with him described him as curdling from the inside out. <laughs> what an amazing description of the, of the effect that sin has on us. Curdled milk is sour. If you've ever accidentally drunk it, you will spit it out immediately. It's like your body knows it's not good for you and spontaneously rejects it. This is Jesus' wish for us, to spontaneously reject sin in our life because it tastes sour, because we know it doesn't lead to our flourishing. Our soul just flat out rejects it. It's so interesting watching my grandkids grow from a place of childish irresponsibility to downright defiance. When a three-year-old looks you right in the eye and pushes the cup off the edge of the table, well, you know something has shifted. I believe that the sciences of psychology and sociology and anthropology have given us great tools to understand our behaviour better. But humanity will never calculate its way out of the mess of our own hearts because we're spiritual beings who find sin an easy way to live and we need a saviour to heal our souls and repair our brokenness. To God, this is a big deal. In Romans, we read these words, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. The wages of sin is death. What sin pays out into our lives in the spiritual sense is death, is separation from God. Now, God is holy and pure, just like oil and water don't mix. God and sin cannot coexist together, which means that we cannot celebrate sin in our lives and at the same time court friendship with God. Jesus was hard on sin because he loves us. He wants us to be with him. So he had tough stuff to say about sin. Here's some of what he said in the book of Matthew. You're familiar with the commandment, do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart towards a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. Your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you even look with lust in your eyes at a woman who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Our gentle Jesus, full of mercy and compassion, 
totally ramped up the Jewish concept of sin. It wasn't just about what you did, but even what you thought. In the book of John, when John, uh, when Jesus saves a woman caught in adultery by inviting those without sin to cast the first stone, she finds herself left alone with just Jesus. He restores her, tells her that she is forgiven, and then he sends her with a challenge. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. Jesus is not sending her away with a, a rebuke for being naughty. He is freeing her from captivity. It's like opening the gate and letting a caged bird fly freely. He knew that the sin she was living with was ensnaring and pulling her down. Jesus wants so much more for us. So in this series, we are going to look at the sins that can drag us down and the opposite virtues that can lift us up, that can free us. You've probably heard of the seven deadly sins. It's a concept that has been used in literature and art, especially in the Middle Ages. And if you're a fan of thrillers, the Brad Pitt movie Seven was based on them. The concept comes from the Bible, but you won't find any verses that list them as the seven deadly sins. The idea was really um, originally talked about by the early church fathers and then codified by Pope Gregory I around 600 AD. He basically made a list of the bad stuff that kept coming up in our relationship with God, things that were detrimental to our human flourishing, and they seemed to fall under seven headings. Pride, lust, greed, anger, gluttony, sloth, which is another word for laziness, and envy. Now, this is a pretty heavy list. And as we delve into them over the next few weeks, there'll be one or two that will rise to the top as your signature sins the areas in your life where you are really vulnerable. Now, Augustine, who was the influential early church father, said there were two things that will enable you to thrive, and they were, number one, no God. Number two, know yourself. We want you to be so aware of where evil can bring you down, where you are particularly weak or vulnerable, where you need help, where you need brothers and sisters standing beside you to help you to fly free. We want to give you strategies to help you defeat the stuff that is pulling you down. We want you to win in life. Jesus wants you to be aware of your sins so you can aim for the opposite of the seven deadly sins and they're the seven virtues. The opposite of pride is humility. The opposite of lust is purity. The opposite of greed is generosity and self-giving. The opposite of anger is peace or patience. The opposite of gluttony is self-discipline and moderation. 
The opposite of sloth is diligence. The opposite of envy is gratitude. The bad news is this. We all have areas in our life that Satan will use to pull us down. The good news is this. We can all change. Actually, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the only power that can truly change a human heart. And a changed human heart leads to a changed relationship with God and with others, which can lead to a changed family, which can lead to a changed workplace, which can lead to a change in the next generation. This is a big deal. As I listed those seven big sins, I bet you were already sorting out the ones that trouble you. Can you imagine your life free of that sin? If anger is your Achilles heel, can you imagine the change in your relationships if you were able to replace it with patience and kindness? If lust is your problem, can you imagine how much better your friendships would be if this wasn't tainting them? If sloth or laziness is your secret sin, can you imagine what God wants to do in and through you if you could conquer that? As we delve into this journey over the next few weeks, there are two things I'd love you to do with me. The first thing is, will you be ruthlessly honest with yourself? Would you pray that God would reveal to you the deadly sins that need to be chiseled off your soul in order for you to be the image of Jesus that he's called you to be? And the second thing is, Whenever you are tempted to get depressed about your failings, would you remember what I'm about to show you? Nikki Gumbel in this uh, Alpha lesson last Thursday night gave this brilliant illustration. He was quoting the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and he said this. He said, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way and he said he said this is us and this is this is all the sin and the iniquity the bad stuff that's in our life and it's it's blocking us from a relationship with God and here we have Jesus who is who is pure, that his relationship with God is free and open. So we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned from our own way. And watch this. The rest of the verse says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our sin. That's why he came. But see how it leaves us? Because Jesus took our sin, we are now free to have this relationship with God. During the course of the next seven weeks, at the end of, of each of our messages, 
We wanted to give you a moment of quiet reflection. We're going to call it our Selah moments. If you've ever read the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll, they're actually, um, the Psalms were like lyrics to, to songs, worship songs. Sometimes there'd be a couple of, you'll see a couple of verses and then there'll just be the little word Selah. And what that was meant to say in the Hebrew language was, here's a spot where you can just pause, consider what you've heard, consider God and what he's saying to you. So today we're going to hear a song from Hill's Song and I want it to be a moment for you to pause. The lyrics of the chorus say, I was found before I was lost. I was yours before I was not. You wear the scars for all of my mistakes and that part just wrecks me. Your love is too good to leave me here.